Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the No City on the Silent Dad podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting with Gavin Fry. He's a licensed family therapist, and he wrote the book, The Real You, Leading from Your Authentic Self. He's going to talk about being real, like the real you, and how trauma affects us, and why it's important to be open and vulnerable. And here's something cool. He's also going to discuss how to stay true to yourself as a parent, as a dad. Plus, he has some personal stories that really shaped his work and his life. So get ready for a chat packed with useful stuff. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey there. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm really glad you're here. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a warm welcome to you. Yes, you. This is the purpose of this podcast to explore topics that can help you improve your life as a parent, dad, mom, and adult. You know, I think it's important to continue learning. I don't claim to know everything, but I believe learning is important. Before we jump into my conversation with Gavin, I want to ask you, and I'll actually ask you, I'd like to invite you to sign up for the podcast email newsletter. It's a great way to stay in touch, update with the latest episodes or information. If I find something really cool, I'd like to share with you. I know you guys like to listen to stuff like this, and I really appreciate you being here. So let's dive in the conversation with Gavin Fry. Welcome to the podcast, Gavin. Thanks. Pleasure to be with you, Joe. Authenticity is a big word. It's a very big word. It has a lot of meanings. And how do you live your authentic self? Well, but what I mean by authenticity is when what I'm experiencing inside matches what I express outside. So when those match, then there's authenticity. Whether you're in pain or you're in love, whatever your experience is, there's a match. If you happen to be in pain on the inside, but you're presenting a smile on your face, people would experience you as inauthentic because they pick up something's not quite right. (laughs) So the key to getting into authenticity, authenticity is learning the art And it takes practice, particularly as a man, to actually risk being transparent, particularly when you think that being transparent and honest might not fly real well with who you're talking to. (laughs) That's interesting, too. I think about as a dad myself, being authentic, sometimes I I don't always want to tell people the truth because I want them to like me. I want them to be my friend. I want to get along. But sometimes, but if I really tell them what I really think, there might be issues. Well, most in most people in relationships, whether it's an intimate relationship or even in relationship with your kids, mm-hmm. we try, we typically, because of how we grew up and past conditioning and some trauma we've had in relationship, is we typically steer away or try to steer away from anything that will upset our partner. Nothing could harm the relationship more than doing that. What's it's it? actually by being honest and saying, look, Even you could say at the beginning, I need to express something that may not be easy for you to hear, but it's important for me to say it. And I'm not meaning to hurt you. I just want to be genuine with you. And then you say it. So then you set a context for why you're sharing something, even though you realize it may upset. Well, it's interesting, too. You said about about growing up, maybe understanding a little bit of that in trauma. What? How does how's trauma have to do with it? Well, when we're born, I'm sure you we've all seen your audience, you, me, we've seen children who are six months old, one year old, 
There's something incredibly authentic about them. They don't even have an ego. They don't have a mind. They can't not be authentic. Mm-hmm. Then trauma and pain happens. Maybe we have an alcoholic father. Maybe we have a mother that is, doesn't, doesn't want to get close to us for whatever reason. So in relationship, trauma happens and it actually injures our ability to feel. And when that happens, almost like touching a stove, we don't want to touch the stove again to get hurt. So we develop an instinct to protect ourselves after trauma so we don't get hurt again. But those protect, those protective accommodations, those adaptings move away from being genuine. Now, when we're young, it's important that we do that because we do need to survive. Mm-hmm. The challenge is when we keep using it throughout our entire life. And then it really gets in the way in our relationship with ourselves, our, our partner, our children. Well, the interesting, I was thinking about that, about a five-year-old, like when they're like one to five and that's when they're like the most creative, the most, uh, most and, and, but also once they hit that age five, when they get a little bit of peer pressure and, and up, like my son's going through that right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you start to know a different son. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it may not be as desirable as just the way he was primarily prior to that, right? Exactly. It's it's interesting to watch because the, the emotional development and emotion, things that interest him didn't interest him before. Now, you know, friends influencing him and stuff like that. And and I keep telling him, be yourself. And, and that's the best thing to do is be yourself. Well, I'm well, I'm kind of curious. How did you get involved in this kind of stuff? Well. I happen to have a larger measure of trauma than most children do. Mm-hmm. Till 10, I was doing great. I was in Little League. I was doing well in school. I loved my life. I felt really good and confident about the future. But at age 10, my sister was seven years older than me at 17. She started 15 years of heroin addiction right at that point. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my brother, older brother, was 15 while I was 10. He started a life of crime. And Joe, he really went all the way. He went through to serious crimes, kidnapping, murder, and then he became a white supremacist gang leader. Oh, wow. He was killing black people. And I knew all that. In other words, my folks and I are following in the wake of my brother and sister. And I mean, there'd be times, Joe, when I would be home and he's pulling out guns from the attic to go and kill people. And I know what he's doing. And it's scary. So those years were very dark for me. I kind of collapsed. I pretended I was fine. I was not fine. But the good news is it catapulted me towards psychology and spirituality. And I did a lot of healing work. I learned how to heal. I I learned how to come back to that 10-year-old that was fine. And I also learned that I had gifts as a man of sensitivity and how to bring intimacy into relationships. Well, that's interesting, too. What kind of relationship with your parents, though, at that age? Because you're the one trying to be good, and your sister and your brother are having some kind of issues. How was that for you as a kid? Well, the hard part was I overcompensated. I tried to be the good kid. Mm -hmm. I tried to be the hero to my parents and not cause them any more pain. In trying to be good, I wasn't being genuine. I lost touch with myself because I didn't come to them. See, if, if one... If my sister's a heroin addict, my brother's murdering people. Inside of me at the time, I'm like, what am I going to do? Tell them that I'm depressed? 
It just seemed so small, but honestly, it was very, very big. And they didn't have enough in psychological sophistication to say, how are you doing? And we colluded because I told them I was fine. Honestly, I was also afraid if I wasn't careful, I would go in the direction of my brother and sister. But I got lost in there and all of that. Something interesting you just mentioned to me, and I was wondering more about it, is the fact that you trying to overcompensate for it, trying to be the good kid. Yes. And did that affect you later in life as an adult? Oh, my God. Did it affect my fathering when I had my own children? I still was trying to be because, see, my adapted behavior, one of the things I refer to it in my book is the false self. Not false Mm -hmm. is bad, just inauthentic. That false self was an adaptive pattern because of the trauma. So I would try to be the hero to my kids. Now, it turns out later in my life, I had two boys when they were teens. They had serious mental illness and substance abuse, abuse, both of them. It was mm-hmm. very traumatic, Joe. It's five or six years that was a really hard. And I re-exerted trying to be the hero of the family. And mm-hmm. I had to learn I could not rescue my kids. Oh, wow. I couldn't. And so I finally had to let go. And when I started to let go, they became much more functional because they didn't have to wrestle me trying to oversteer them. Well, I was also thinking, too, is also in personal relationships, relationships like as you get older, intimate relationship, girlfriends, wives, and stuff like that. Does that also affect personal relationships, too? Well, it does, because I've seen in my history with, let's say, women, Mm -hmm. I'll typically find women who I can be the strong one and I'll support them, but I won't talk about what my needs are and have them support me. The more that I've grown over the years, now I'm interested in relationship where we're both being vulnerable, we're both human, we're both on a spiritual path, and we can come to each other in a safe space and say, here's what's going on for me. And there's mutuality. It's much more healthy. Well, you mentioned vulnerable, being vulnerable. Why is it so hard for people to be vulnerable? Well, it actually takes courage and it's scary. Yes, it's it is. Scary. <laughs> it's just scary. That's how you know that it may be valuable for you to be vulnerable as you go. You, it's the conversation you do not want to have. But what men in particular need to appreciate is that Being vulnerable means we're going to be in deeper inside, close to our emotions, and it's going to feel scary. It's going to feel risky. What's also interesting about men, we don't know this, women want us to be vulnerable. They like it when we're vulnerable, even though we've been trained to think it's a weakness and it's (laughs) not actually appealing. Well, it's it's interesting too. It's it's like you learn that as a kid when you're when your first crush or your first girlfriend, you're like you you're fear of the rejection, you're fear of the I don't want to look like an idiot or a fool, so I don't want to feel my feelings hurt. Because that's being vulnerable. Hey, right. I like you, and right. all of a sudden, you, 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 I don't like you, and you get upset and go away. That's right. Well, then you have to learn how to deal with hurt. But if you learn to deal with it by not risking, then you don't get what you want. I'll tell you where I learned about vulnerability was when I was twenty-five. I still had a lot of the pain that I had from my late teens. Mm-hmm. And I found this transformational workshop that was a very safe space. And in that safety, there was a lot of love. They did some processes and I got moved inside and I realized I had a lot of the pain from my teen years, almost like surfacing up inside of me. 
And it was like, I need to share this. And I had other people were risking sharing, being vulnerable, and the group would reward it. Oh, so wow. I, I cried for about 15 minutes in front of the group. I felt embarrassed. I thought no one would like me, but I couldn't help it. I needed to purge. It'd been held for so long. And at the break, droves of people came up and they said, you're brave. Thank you. We feel close to you. And that just rocked my world because I didn't expect that, Joe. It's so it's interesting too, because you, you put yourself out there for others to hear and so you can heal. Yes. And, of, and why something sometimes people have a hard time seeking help, especially men seeking therapy for their, their past wounds and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that we're not taught that we're very tender, sensitive beings. Yes, we're divine. We have strengths. We have love. And we're very, very tender, men and women. But men are taught with a lot of stereotypes, with movies. And also, how can I best say this? I think men need to learn who to be vulnerable with. It's not with just anybody. You need to begin to learn to discern. Is it, and, and one of the places to learn is if, let's say you're in college and you're going through a very hard time, the courage to go see a licensed therapist has got a stigma with it. But it actually can be the golden road to actually connect back with themselves and learn how to be vulnerable in a safe space and be seen and affirmed. So it can be very, very valuable because all it is is a rich, open conversation that's safe. Well, it's like I, mean, I can I can remember when I was like, and oh, that's a long time ago. My son calls, calls me old. But I remember like in second and third grade, if you cried, if you were upset about something, your friends would pick on you. Yeah. And, and then if you're showing vulnerability, your friends will think you're, you know, sensitive and they make fun of you. And it, there is truth to that. I think the primacy of how your parents, how they developed, mm-hmm. how much empathy they had and how much they recognized that sensitivity and vulnerability were to be valued. And if they affirm that at home, one or both, it can make a world of difference in withstanding the social mockery and pressure, because that's a big thing. You're right. It's very big. Well, it's interesting, too. You know, I don't think you wanted, I think we talk about tonight was how to be a dad that you always wish you had. How was your dad for you? I happened, my saving grace and all of what I told to you was my relationship with my dad. My dad, from the very beginning, my very first memory, all the way, he adored me and I knew it. He was not critical. He was there for me at every turn. I enjoyed him. We rode motorcycles together. I helped him work on cars. He was a mechanic. He was born in Madison, Wisconsin. He was like a Midwestern, salt-of-the-earth kind of a guy. He didn't have a big ego. He didn't have ambition. He was sweet. He was a good, good man. I modeled myself after him. We would walk down the street, and we'd see somebody crossing, and always... Whether he knew them or not, he would look them in the eye and greet them and say hi, and he meant it. So he led with sincerity. He led with genuineness. So he was a phenomenal being, and he was he was everything growing up as I was going. You know, we walked through those difficult times with my brother and sister together. I don't know what I'd have done without him, Joe. It's interesting, too, the relationships you have with your parents. Because, you know, especially younger parents. My mom was younger when she had me and my brother and stuff like that. And grow up, we're kind of growing with him. 
That's right. Growing up with, growing up with them and stuff like That's that right. during their, when they're, when we were younger. And it's different because I had my, we had my son, we were older. So we already been through all most of that stuff. You know, I had my late thirties, early forties. Yeah. So it's different, but it's a different time. It's interesting. Well, but you said, you said something very key there is that you said you and your family learn together. I do think that's what makes one of the key components of an effective parent mm-hmm. that the child sees as someone they can respect and trust is their learning too. A lot of parents get caught in the trap of demanding that their child learn and being the authority over the child, but not being a student themselves, not being vulnerable themselves, not coming to the child and say, look, I made a mistake here. I just want to acknowledge that. That's a vulnerable thing to do. But how much trust that builds with the child is huge versus the parents always right. The child needs to do what the boss wants. That's a relationship I call power over versus power with. Whether you have an employee or a child or even a spouse, you want to share power. That's what's most effective and it's the most intimate relationship. Well, would it be some kind of challenges though as a parent being authentic to your children? Would there be some, would there be challenges? Well, I do think discernment is required because I don't want to give the indication that being authentic just means you say everything. <laughs> Sometimes it's not appropriate to say certain things. Mm-hmm. To me, part of vulnerability and being true to yourself is you consider having a talk with your son, let's say, and you're considering what to say to him. And something intuitive inside of you says, don't say it like that. Don't, you don't need to share that information. That's too much too soon. So if you follow your own intuition about how to share, you don't need to share fully. You just need to be true to what you're guided to share. So, and well, that can be partial. It's like, it's like levels of truth. Well, it's also a filter too. Some kids are a certain age don't really need to hear uh, what, let them be a kid. <laughs> let them be a kid for a while. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But also too, I was also wondering too, is uh, spiritual, your spiritual walk. What is that about? Well, Prior to age 25, I didn't know anything about spiritual or religion. Mm -hmm. I wasn't brought up with any religion. I didn't even know there was a difference between the two. I, Joe, even took my bachelor's and my master's degree in psychology. Spirituality, religion, never, ever mentioned. Oh, wow. Now, because it wasn't, and it turned out spiritual was really important to me, I, I didn't develop into a good counselor my fellow students graduated and were ready to go help people. I wasn't ready to help people. Two things I needed. I didn't do my own work in a graduate program. They studied it. They studied doing counseling theoretically, academically. You didn't get to share in classes about your own issues. Secondly, is they didn't talk about the spiritual. So that program that I told you that I did at 25 that was transformational, mm-hmm. not only did I purge all of that emotion, but I started to have experiences inside of this, this huge loving energy flowing through me and my heart opening and my intuition opened. And it was like the way I like to think of spirituality, it's a loaded word. Some people misinterpret it. I think of it as a synonymous with depth. I came into my depth and in my depth was love, compassion, wisdom. And it was like, wow, 
<laughs> and then my gifts as a counselor started to showcase themselves, particularly after I purged a lot of the pain I had. And then I was on my way. Why do you think some kind of some therapists don't take care of their own problems first before they start counseling other people? I think they get caught in their mind and thinking that they can bypass all that and that they'll be the authority. And typically when that happens, they're not very effective therapists or counselors because the most effectiveness comes after you have your own self-knowledge and you heal and awaken. That's the primary prerequisite for being a talented psychotherapist is you know from direct experience how to do the work. So when, let's say you sit with a client who's got a depression, you'd look over them and you go, I had a depression when I was 19 and I remember how painful it was. And here's what I did about it. And the person will know that you have had that. They'll know you've been in the same club and they'll feel safer with you and they'll work through in a partnership together in ways that other therapists can't touch. It's making that authentic connection. It is. It is. But if you don't have the authentic life experience to share, you just have theories. So a lot of times therapy can devolve into just talking and verbalizing. And the best work isn't like that. The best work is a safe, sacred space where revelation occurs and leaps forward occur. Realizations like, wow, I thought, I remember, I'll give you an example. My young son, when he was six, he watched Star Wars for the first time, the first one. <laughs> And when he, at the end of the movie where there was Darth Vader, he was six years old, Joe. He looked over to me and he goes, I get it. Darth <laughs> Vader is a good guy who thinks he's a bad guy. And I said, you got it. So even he could see that was Darth Vader's challenge because he told himself a story that was not true. That's the kind of things you discover in therapy. Well, it's interesting too. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm in therapy myself, so I understand. I mean, I understand as I'm working on some of my own issues myself. Yeah. But I think it's important. I think it's necessary because, it, like, it has like some people. It's it's kind of a shame or kind of. I mean, I think it's wrong in the sense that people put such a negativity on it. I know, I know, I know. To so make you feel like say you're weak or something like that, and you know, you're actually being strong and taking well, care of your problems. That's right, and and you know that. And as you grow, I suspect you may let go of some friends that will view it that way and talk to you that way. And you'll open up to other friends that will go like me. I would look at you and I go, I bow to you and go, smart, wise man, brave man for you, for your family, for your son. That's, that is so terrific, Joe. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth of the matter. Well, it's interesting too. Your your book, down your upcoming book, the real you, you lend leading yourself from your authentic self. What is the? I understand about being your authentic self, but what's more in the book? And well, they're looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Well, it it has the premise that's spiritual that says that we do have an authentic self. We could also call it a soul. You could call it divine, high self. We all have that. And we have it in a unique way. Yours is different than mine, Joe, but it has a universal characteristic. It's deeper. It's compassionate. It's loving. It's wise. Now, as I said, the book is about how to connect and cultivate a connection with that place stronger and stronger. It's the perfect companion to doing therapeutic work because I've got exercises throughout. 
But in addition, I help people identify what are the traumas they went through and what are the false selves or adapted adaptations they made away from being authentic. And if you can start to describe what those are, like I've told you, mine was a hero archetype, pretending I was fine. If you define, if you define what, identify what the false self is, here's the key right here Mm -hmm. and love it. You don't make it wrong because it was there trying to protect you. That's its noble purpose. I pretended I was fine to get by. I, I didn't want to hurt my parents anymore, but it was also something that took me away from who I was. So it's simultaneously knowing your false or adapted self and beginning with awareness because awareness is curative and you can begin to drop that away and you deepen your connection with your authentic self. The false self, when the authentic self gets stronger and starts to come on board as the lead, the false self is relieved and very happy because it has an impossible job trying to protect <laughs> us in the ways that it learned when it was four. Well, it's interesting too. I think about that, you know, being the authentic self, you you feel at peace, you feel happy, you feel energized. Yeah. I think. And when you have to put on the it's like wearing a mask. You right. put, I put my mask on. This is the Joe during the day. This is Joe at night doing podcasting. Right. Stuff like that. That's, that's why I'm right. thinking of myself, being my who my authentic self is. But that's just something interesting I and came to mind when you were talking. Well, what would it be fair to say if I were to ask you, as you've done therapeutic work, mm-hmm. Has your experience of you being the podcaster become more authentic? Yes. I've been listening more and understanding more of what people are talking about. And I can relate more too. There you go. So it's an automatic. Once you get that, you develop the interior life. And and whether that's therapy, meditation, journaling, reading, going to workshops, whatever it takes to begin to go, wow, I have something extraordinary in here that's worth meeting. The purpose of my book is to encourage you to turn towards yourself with curiosity and say, who is in here? And that relationship can be cultivated. If you have an intention to cultivate a relationship with your deeper self, it will be made available to you. Well, it's interesting too. And I I keep hearing this one thing from you and I'm talking to other people and stuff is journaling. How, How beneficial is journaling? Journaling is wonderful because when you're journaling, you're not controlling the process. You're just writing down what's coming. Some of the most effective journaling I have found comes from a book exercise called, the book is called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Mm -hmm. So it's about getting in touch with your creative and spiritual self. And she has an exercise called Morning Pages. And what you do when you journal is you write whatever is there to write. You're not trying to work with it. You're not trying to go anywhere. It just gives you awareness about what's going on in your thoughts and feelings. And as you do that, you actually start to reveal Joe or Gavin. It's Mm -hmm. like who we are is almost like a flower that wants to be seen and watered and cultivated. And it starts to emerge. Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, would, would call it individuation. We're here in our lives on a hero's journey to come into who we are and individuate just the way a beautiful flower. Well, it's interesting too. Sometimes I, I can think of doing that or I've tried journaling by myself at nighttime or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to write whatever's on my mind. And all of a sudden my filter turns on. It's like, I know. and it's like, Oh, and then I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I, it, it doesn't last very long, maybe a couple more times. And 
then I put, I never really do it again. Well, there's a, there's a modified way to do it, Joe, that I'll consider. Mm -hmm. It's that most people, when they write, they're thinking they're going to be reading it over or someone else can read it. But if you write and you know, you're not going to read it over. The intention isn't to read it. It's just to acknowledge what's here. Could be, I'm upset. It could be, I'm happy. It doesn't matter. And you take the pieces of paper and you burn them. Oh, okay. And so you just let them go. Cause typically we're journaling about something that maybe not that pleasant for us or difficult. So we're acknowledging it. We can release it. So it's kind of like flushing the toilet. It just goes out. That's called free form writing. Oh, it's uh, almost like it just clears out the trash. Gets it out of your head so you can and, and clear your mind. Right. Cause, cause sometimes when people get upset or they're, they'll think about one thing all day and then write it down, get it out of your head. I guess it be very beneficial. Yeah. Versus writing it down and then starting to analyze and think about it and tie it into more knots. <laughs> this is the simple exercise of saying, I, I can't pretend it's not here. I'm going to acknowledge it in writing. It's better than a, the computer with your hands because energies that we want to let go of that don't work for us anymore, that are disturbing, that are out of balance, they're, they're held in the long muscles of our body and it helps to write it out. And then you just burn it as a ceremony that says, I'm just keeping the boards clean. And, and I'm, I'm surprised a lot of people probably feel a lot better after that too. They do. And you do it often until you feel an energy shift. You go, okay, it could be five minutes. It could be 15 or 20. And it can start. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's a cleansing that goes with it. It's almost like doing a fast, but you know. Well, definitely interesting too. And one other question I want to ask you is I'm looking at your website right now, spiritual therapist. What is a spiritual therapist? Well, it, it means my premise when you come to me. Mm -hmm. is that you have a deeply divine place inside that is mm -hmm. worth reverence. It's worth revering. Me to revere to you and to you to learn to revere. Oh, and so that could be the authentic self. It could be the soul. Some people come to me and they're starting to be a client. They said, you know, I've never had any spiritual experiences. And I go, okay, okay. <laughs> well, what are some of the richest experiences you've had? And then they start, well, when my son was born, I don't know how to put it into words, but something happened and I was transported and oh my God, I go, that's a spiritual, that's what I mean by spiritual. <laughs> or they'd say, I was in nature and I was on this retreat and I just went into this timeless space and I was so at peace. I go, that's what we're cultivating is your relationship with that. Interesting. I find that really fascinating myself, actually. Yeah. Well, well, wrapping up, final thoughts, anything you want to leave with the audience, something about being authentic or being your authentic self? Well, I'd like to say a couple keys for being an effective parent from some of the perspectives that I've learned. Okay. One is, again, I think it's important for a parent to be as willing to learn as they want their child to be willing to learn and actively keep a learning journal. What am I learning about being a parent? When I talk to other parents, what can I learn? Everything you learn can can in, strengthen your relationship with your child and your partner. The other thing I wanted to say is I think we need to relate to our children as our teacher. So we need to be a student all the time. And what often happens, Joe, is let's say, like, for example, when I was 10, I had all these traumas start 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. When I raised my boys, when they got through the ages of 10 to 15, it shook all of that material inside of me. 
because it was unresolved. So it's our children end up being our teachers. And we can say, why are we getting so upset about this? Why are we attached? It has more to do with us and what we're working through. But see, you're now going to therapy and you go, you can go to your therapist. I need to talk about this. If I don't talk about it with you, it may impact how I relate to my child. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Also, where they can connect you, they can find more about your book and reach out to you if you have any questions. Sure. My website is gavinfry.com, G-A-V-I-N-F-R-Y-E.com. And my book is available through Amazon for pre-order right now. It's going to be available on November 15th, but people are pre-ordering it. So you can just pull up the real you, or I have a link on my website for Gavin Fry where you could access it on Amazon. Gavin, thank you much for being on the podcast tonight. I really do appreciate all links will be in the show notes for this episode. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Papa Bear. <laughs> Thanks. See you later. See you later. Wrapping up this episode, I got a few things I want to share. I want to give a huge thanks to Gavin Fry for joining me on the podcast today, sharing all that information. Find more about Gavin Fry and go to check out his website at gavinfry.com. And don't forget, you can find all the important links, all the stuff, all the books and everything mentioned in the episode at no sitting on the sideline.com slash one three zero. Feel free to leave a comment or ask a question or anything you want to share about the podcast, about your experience about being an authentic self. If you want to get in touch with me, go to no sitting on the sideline.com slash contact. You can leave anything. Same thing before you can message and support uh, anything you want to say. I reach out, reach out to me and I reach out back to you. I really do appreciate your support. And thank you for listening to the podcast until next time. Take care. Give your kids a hug, a warm hug to show how much you love them. Reach out to a friend who you haven't heard talked to in a while because connection is important. God bless. See you soon. Mm-hmm.